when you do get to the point where you feel really comfortable in your own skin of that you fought so hard for this. You know, there's a real resiliency in that of, you know, not only a matter of knowing who you are, but fighting like hell for it. And then when you get it, it's, it's, yeah, all the more, you know, I'm trying to find a stronger word than contentment, but peace, you know? You're listening to CWC Talks, a podcast from the University of Florida Counseling and Wellness Center. In each episode, we discuss mental health topics related to the experience of being a student and share the struggles and joys of taking care of your mental health while in college. Please note, CWC Talks is not a substitute for counseling and may be sensitive for people who have experienced trauma. All guest views are their own and do not speak for the CWC, the University of Florida, or the mental health profession as a whole. Well, hi, Taylor. Welcome back. Sarah? I'm glad you're with us again today to talk about trans resilience. So what does that mean to you? And how'd you come up with that idea for a podcast episode? Yeah, trans resilience, you know, I think trans folks we've talked a bit about in the last episode, but, you know, our community faces a lot of challenges, you know, of, of you know, one, just the process of transition, discrimination, finding ourselves, you know, it can be a lot. Um, and certainly the trans community has had to deal with these and, you know, other challenges that maybe I can't even think about at the moment. But given that, having resiliency and building that sense of resiliency and pride in our identities is really important. And so I wanted to give space for it by itself because I know we were talking a lot about identity last time, but really when you talk about the resiliency as well of given some of the challenges we face, you know, of how we can be resilient, how we can bounce back and how we can ultimately thrive. Um, Because I think one of the misconceptions you see a lot in the media, these really bleak depictions of what it's like to be trans or really dramatic or really just a sad story. And it's not, you know, I I mean, there, there are those, there are really difficult experiences, but there's also a lot of resiliency. There's a lot of beauty and strength and wisdom. And so I really wanted to speak to of um, how folks, you know, can be resilient. And so, yes, yeah, so speaking a little bit, and some of this may be specific to the trans community, a fair amount of it, but some of it may be applicable to all people as well. So speaking from this trans lens, but I think the topic of resiliency, given, you know, the challenges we face with mental health, you know, I think is a really great topic overall. Yeah. And just, you know, I was thinking about issues of representation and how the media has these kind of standard narratives that they tell about all kinds of folks who don't fit kind of the cisgender, heterosexual, white, you know, mainstream, whatever that means, dominant cultural um, narrative and how when you see representation in um, highlighting the negatives and highlighting the hardships and and stuff, it can, uh, I imagine it can be really hard to sometimes to feel hopeful or to recognize just the tremendous opportunities and gifts that come from being trans and discovering who you are and, you know, fully embodying who you are in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think that, you know, for both people within the community, that can be a little demoralizing. And also for people outside the community, they get this impression then that to be trans is to be, um, is to have a sad life or to have a sad experience. And that's not true. You know, that there's a lot of joy, there's a lot of strength, beauty, all the things that you mentioned. And so this is an opportunity to talk about that resilience in ways that 
trans folks can feel good about their identity, feel good about themselves, um, even in the midst of some challenges. Okay, I love that. So talk to me about, you know, when you think about your own journey, and I know that you also do a lot of advocacy and counseling and support for for other folks who are trans. What are some of the things that really can help a trans person thrive? Yeah, so I, I will speak personally to myself first of you know, with coming out, especially in the context of a world that may not be the most supportive, there is a, a need or a desire to push back a bit or to be able to build those skills, build those resiliencies to um, to be able to face the challenges. And so, you know, one thing for, you know, a few things that when I thought about this topic that really come to mind, just to go over briefly would be building community, which could be both, you know, finding people who are very supportive and maybe kind of cutting out some of the people who aren't so supportive, finding sources of inner peace, you know, of being at peace with oneself, even in the midst of change, finding ways to express oneself, even in contexts where we may not be able to fully. And so I know I'm just going through the laundry list right now, but I'd love to dive into kind of of some of these individual things and kind of of how students may apply them. Yeah. And also, of course, you know, I'm going to want to know what that looked like for you too, Mm -hmm. Taylor, even though everyone's journey is unique. Um, So let's start with community building and start to unpack that. What does that mean? What did that mean for you? And what can that look like for people? Yeah. So for me, you know, when I was first coming out, the big theme was loneliness. Huge, of, especially, you know, 10 years ago, it was right before trans issues got much more visibility, even if it wasn't the most positive visibility at first. And so a big sense of loneliness of you know, nobody knows what to do, even if they're supportive, they don't have any clue. You know, my school guidance counselors, like a real, nobody knew. Yeah, you know, I was on my own. And so I think a big thing for me, community building was looking online and was looking to trans people across the country um, or even across the world. And so for me personally, that was Facebook because I'm I'm an I'm I'm a millennial guilty, guilty as charged. You know, I know for Gen Z folks that may be all sorts of different social media apps now, but you know, meeting somebody who has walked this road before and can give some reassurance of this is going to be okay, right? Because if nobody around you knows what it's like to be trans, it can feel kind of hollow to hear that reassurance from somebody who has no idea. And so to have a more, you know. For me, it felt so much more reassuring to have that reassurance and some of that guidance from somebody who's been on this path. The person for me at first was uh, somebody who I very affectionately refer to as my trans mom, because she's a fair bit older. She's a trans woman who transitioned a while back and she's in her 60s or 70s. But she, for me, was somebody who was a rock and a foundation of she felt very stable in her identity. She had dealt with tons of discrimination, but could speak from experience of how she overcame and hearing her story really helped me feel like, okay, this may be rough right now, especially at these early stages. But, you know, if I kind of keep moving forward, if I keep um, taking the steps to take care of myself, you know, I can have a really happy future. I thank her endlessly for that. As I got later on in my transition, you know, I think, Uh, speaking to the other side a little bit, was for people who weren't as supportive. So for example, I was involved with a church group my freshman year of college that I was stealth with meaning that I didn't tell them I was trans. I was so 
they knew me as a guy. I was, you know, I was being myself, but being closeted kind of in the other direction, right? Of they did not know I was a transgender guy. And a series of events happened, but basically they eventually found out I was trans and they they did not kick me out, but they heavily suggested to me that I should go to conversion therapy. Um, that they said, you know, we really care about you, Taylor, and because of this, we want you to do this. And, you know, for me, you know, especially with the support I had, I realized this is toxic. That this is, you know, although I had built a strong relationship with some of these people, that this just wasn't what I needed. And so I, you know, I was no longer involved with that group, except for maybe a couple of people who are more open um, to LGBTQ folks. And so I, I say that example to say that you know, there's both sides of that coin, right? Uh, finding the people who can really relate to you, but also for people who really aren't supportive that it's okay to let them go. I'm just sitting with um, hearing that story, which that was the first time I heard about that story with your church group and the conversion therapy attempt. Um, and it just like felt physically painful to hear that story. And I'm, I'm thinking you're, you know, many, many years out from that experience, but I wondering how painful that was for you at the time. Extremely. It was extremely painful because, you know, these people, they already knew me, you know, they had known me for a year and they, again, I won't go into the details of it, but basically they had known I was trans for a fair amount of the time and just did not tell me that they, how they felt. Um, and then eventually when I came out to them, then they told me how they felt. So extremely painful. And it's one of those things that I, I, I say kind of this example of, although I had that connection because they were not supportive, they could not be the friends that I needed, you know, very amicable, but I was like, I'm sorry, I can't be a part of this group anymore. I can't do that. And that's part of resilience is, is for, for people, as long as it's safe, right. You know, with safety factors considered of disconnecting from people who really may not have your best interests at heart. How do you counsel students? And I'm, you know, not wanting any particular student, but just generally mm-hmm. who have relationships with family members that they're financially reliant on or otherwise like really reliant on to be in college who aren't affirming of their, mm-hmm. of their gender um, identity. What would you suggest to people kind of in that caught in that gap where they still it would be very costly for them to cut off those relationships or, or distance from those relationships. And yet those relationships are toxic. Yeah, certainly those situations come up. And, you know, in my, in my therapist role, I generally would not give suggestions, right? Every, everyone's situation is different, but kind of stepping outside that role, kind of tailor the person for a minute. One thing I really think about is if the reality is you, you have to stay attached to them for right now, right? They, you know, you realistically can't let them go. What are the boundaries within the relationship that you can define? So for example, if you know that when it's the holidays, um, then that's, that's a time where people really, uh, family members really misgender you, right? The whole family's there and there's a lot of misgendering going on. A way of establishing boundaries of it may be of, well, maybe I'll step out when there's the holiday party, you know, or maybe I'll, you know, I'll come in, I'll say hi to everyone, but then I'll take some space to myself. So I'm not spending the whole night being misgendered, 
you know, that would be kind of an example. Or, you know, another thing, another theme that I think we may talk about later on is a little bit of what I call forward orientation, which is of if you're in a situation where you're financially tied right now, of thinking about, okay, what are the steps I can take so that I will not be financially tied in the future? And that can help build a sense of hope, right? Uh, although this current situation really, really sucks, that there's you know a plan and there's a prospect for the future. That this uh, this toxic dynamic that you know you don't have to be uh, attached to these people anymore. Yeah, and it sounds like staying in school can actually be part of that plan. So yeah, I'm relying on my parents now to support me in college, but you know, if I finish college, I will have way more options for independence. Exactly. Yeah. No, that, that is a fantastic example of that forward orientation, right. Of, of kind of, again, every situation is different, but you know, if, as long as it's reasonably safe and you're able to kind of make those appropriate, make, make the boundaries at work, you know, of, Hey, if I kind of tolerate this for the next couple of years, right. If I tolerate this dynamic after college, I can have my own path. I can no longer be financially dependent on them. Um, And that definitely is uh, kind of ways of, you know, being empowered in that you're strategizing, right? It's not, I'm stuck with being financially dependent on my parents. It's I'm stuck being dependent on them for right now. And I'm working towards a plan where I can be independent, where I can be myself. Before we move on, um, what are some resources that can help I know you mentioned that that social media and the internet can be a great way to connect with folks that you wouldn't necessarily come across just walking across campus or in your classroom. Um, to, so really can open up those opportunities for healthier relationships. What about some resources that students, whether they're at UF or at other institutions, might you know look for that could be offered on their campus or through their campus to connect with? with other folks and build in um, a healthier sense of community? Yeah, I think, you know, every campus is different, but certainly there's several different offices that tend to uh, provide LGBTQ affirmative services. One would be your university's diversity office. So like at the University of Florida, that's the MCDA. Uh, They have an LGBTQ office uh, with programming, with events, uh, outreach, where you can connect there in that environment, right? That's kind of student life usually. Second place is a lot of times, especially if there isn't a centralized office like that, is student groups, right? A lot of times students will say, hey, we want to run a group. And so, you know, looking up on your university's website and student groups, there may be student run either support groups or programs or, you know, for me, I had a, this was a very unique situation. So I'll ca- caveat that right away. Um, but my university actually had an LGBTQ, what we called a ferority, um, because it was it was gender <laughs> neutral. Um, but essentially, it was a Greek organization. And for me, that was a chance to really connect in that college environment and really build a very diverse community. That was such a, a amazing thing because there are so many people from so many different walks of life of what it meant to be LGBTQ. We had that common factor and we're able to really connect. And the final thing I'll say is, you know, plugging counseling centers is many counseling centers are very LGBTQ affirmative and they'll have groups like uh, the University of Florida. We have the LGB empowerment group and we have the trans empowerment group. Um, We also have we have clinicians, some of whom are, you know, like myself are a bit more specialized in LGBTQ issues where we can be a source of support as well. 
That's great, Taylor. Thank you for all of those. Um, and I, yeah, I'm just appreciating how comprehensive those ideas mm. are with, within um, the, the college campus environment. So, okay. So we're talking a lot about relationships mm. so far and community building. What about what folks can do internally? Yeah. Well, one thing that I think is really, you know, a big theme in transition is there's a lot that's changing, right? Uh, depending on, you know, the, the course of your transition, you know, that could be socially transitioning, medically transitioning, some combination of both. So one thing that I really try to help clients think about is what are the core things of you? Because although transition does change a whole lot, there's a fundamental you underneath it. And we can really lean on that in times where we're very stressed or things are going not so well. So one way in which I'm not going to be the most helpful here is it looks very different for different people, right? So I can't say for whoever's listening, I can't say definitively what it is for you, but I'll give the example of me. And I'm curious, Sarah, I know uh, trans identity is not, you know, you know, because you're a cisgender woman, that's not as much of a factor, but I'm curious of what your uh, core kind of centering things are, but I'll give an example of me first. Um, for me, something that is just life affirming is exploring new places. I love seeing, you know, even if it's just a new city or a new park or going to a different country, right? So big scale, small scale, just being in, ironically, actually even alone, being alone in a new place is, it shows me kind of the beauty of life for me, you know, and it's something that you know, outdoors, you're doing something, it, it's mindful, but it's also an activity, right? Because because for some people, what gives them peace may be sitting more still, maybe kind of uh, going into their inner world. And for some people, it may be doing an activity. Like for me, I'm a little bit more on that side of doing something new and, and making myself grounded and aware. But yeah, I'm curious for you, Sarah. I love hearing, I love hearing yours. And I'm thinking for me, going to new like cities and stuff is terrifying. Mm. Um, but I, but there is something and, and exhilarating, but I would not consider that a grounding activity. So I love that it really is so unique to each of us, but nature, I think being in nature allows me to participate in an environment that I, I don't find to be judging me. And when I can get in to, and I have a lot of things that I, that I have found a sense of home and grounding in the midst of, of a lot of change and difficulty in my life um, outside of nature, like journaling was it for a really long time for me. Then I, I took up painting and did that for about 10 years, sometimes just like putting on music and flailing in a, in a private room really does a, a good job for me. But there's something for me about nature when I can really look at how different all the trees are and how um, the whole environment is in like of various states of like growth and decay. And I can kind of like see myself as being part of that natural world and that cycle rather than imposing societal standards, because even though I'm a white cisgendered woman, that comes with a heck of a lot of unhealthy conditioning too, and um, internalizing like unhelpful beauty norms and all body image stuff and all kinds of other stuff. And just like, I can kind of shift, 
shift away from some of that and find a, my place in the world that feels uh, kinder, softer, a, a greater sense of belonging. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, I love nature as well, but yeah, kind of, it sounds like that a chance to just be. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. And nature, was, nature hasn't forgotten that, you know, that's what it's doing. Yeah, no, nature, nature is amazing at that. And I think of, it's actually funny you mentioned that of water in particular, uh, and, and you mentioned kind of with the trees of, you know, in a sense of it's always changing, right? You know, the water is like never exactly the same, but yet it, it's kind of the same in the sense that it's the same river is going to be there for a very long time, right? And so that's that's a beautiful a way of just thinking about things and a way of just kind of finding a space to be yourself. Like and it and it, thematically from a from a transitioning perspective, it sounds like the reminder that things can be always changing and in a state of flux and yet still be stable somehow. Mm -hmm. And trying to find that internally as well. Yeah, absolutely. That that is a very key thing to to feeling. Again, really just acknowledging all the change that may be happening, depending on the stage of transition and in certain circumstances, but having that core of you, because, you know, with transition, the goal is to be more yourself, right? To get closer to that. But there's a fair amount of that that even exists outside of gender. And while, while the, you know, the gender aspects kind of is what is up in the air in terms of the shifting, at least how society sees you, um, some of the other non-gendered aspects can be a little bit of the rock and the foundation sometimes. Yeah, that's so helpful. Hmm. I'm just, I'm aware, Taylor, like as we talk and how much I'm enjoying this conversation, but also like as a cis person, this is a whole set of concerns that I have not had to navigate in my life. And just thinking about how much extra energy it takes like like even like I know how hard my college years were and I wasn't trying to you know just navigate a gender transition or becoming outwardly congruent with my you know internal gender identity like I didn't have to do any of that and it was still I was still very depressed I struggled with suicidal thoughts I had relationship trauma sexual trauma like and oh my gosh you layer in I'm just sitting with how, um, yeah, just how intense it is and how I'm not sure we always, it can seem like, I, I imagine at times it's the most important thing on your mind is, you know, we're, I don't know even the right words, but just the gender transition process. And yet there's also a thousand other things that you're trying to navigate. Yeah. Yep. One way I, I kind of think about it is the rest of your life doesn't stop, right? Uh, everything else is there as well and so and i appreciate you acknowledging that because um yeah i think sometimes cis people they because they don't have the experience of being trans they don't recognize just how many additional layers there are in everyday decision making on top of all the other things you know i think of in particular of like people choosing okay where do i go where do i not go um how do i dress for this given environment um you know, who is going to be at XYZ event? Um, is there a bathroom there that I can use or feel safe using? Um, you know, this, you know, imagine if you're like moving, is, is there going to be a trans friendly doctor in the place that I'm moving to? Can I get my hormones? 
So, so all those things uh, that that's an extra layer. So I really, I do really appreciate you acknowledging that. And, and there are all the other stressors as well. Yeah. It sounds like, um, you know, going back to something you, you've said already is having, having the people that you can connect with that support you and affirm you and also having places of um, internal renewal mm -hmm. that are available really become critical when we think of how easy it is to just become exhausted and overwhelmed by everything. Yeah, that's so important. And, you know, the other thing too, of I alluded to a little bit earlier, but kind of that forward orientation of, because there, there are, you know, with the stressors, there's a lot of joy. You know, I see myself in the mirror and feel so much pride of, you know, something that me being truly myself, I, and I thought, you know, for a lot of my life, like, wouldn't be possible. And then to have it is so, so amazing, you know, soul fulfilling of just being able to be and to be so authentic. And, you know, now it's, it's a daily thing, right. Of just, I'm me. And, you know, of, you know, there's definitely some aspects of transition that are, you know, still with me, but sometimes in being myself now, I don't, it, it takes me a second to think back of how much work that took, you know, how much effort, you know, and the, all those sucky days and all those, um, those moments of being in the middle of transition of, I don't know where I'm going to get my hormones from. I don't know if my family's going to accept me. I don't know that, you know, that that was a huge journey. So, and, and I say that, you know, for people who are maybe more in those earlier stages of and not the cliche kind of, it gets better, but, you know, especially if you plan for it, you can make it better. Um, and there is a point where there's a lot of peace and a lot of just being able to be yourself. Um, contentment, you know, like the rest yeah. of your life still doesn't stop and you're getting to live your life as yourself. Yeah. There's a real trying to find the right words, but there's a real pride in that of when you do get to the point where you feel really comfortable in your own skin of that you fought so hard for this. You know, there's a real resiliency in that of, you know, not only a matter of knowing who you are, but fighting like hell for it. And then when you get it, it's, it's, yeah, all the more, you know, I'm trying to find a stronger word than contentment, but peace, you know? Um, and not that there isn't ever dysphoria after transition or when you're in later stages of transition, like I, I don't want to discount that, but, you know, by hold, if you can hold a future oriented orientation that whatever you're going through right now is not permanent. Um, I think that that can give a lot of hope and a lot of strength and a lot of resolve because I can only speak for myself. And of course, I've, I know lots of trans people, both professionally and, and not professionally as well, but that idea of that gender euphoria of as you come into yourself and that, that I definitely see again, both personally and professionally of as we step into our authentic selves, just that like, oh my goodness, I was called by the right name. Or, you know, I look in the mirror and I have a beard or, um, you know, for someone, you know, trans feminine of wearing a dress and feeling beautiful, um, that those things are so life affirming. So nice to hear this, these parts too. And I'm just, you can't see me, but I'm beaming over here as, as Taylor describes this. I mean, the, the warmth is palpable, the warmth and the joy and the peace is palpable as you, as you speak. Yeah. T talk to me. I know you just mentioned wearing a dress. Mm -hmm. 
for someone that might be a really big step. I, I wonder if we could talk a little bit more about self-expression because again, you know, cisgender, it's not something I really have to worry about. In fact, as a cisgender female, I can, I can be androgynous and suffer. No, I can actually, there's some, there's some benefits to being more androgynous or um, mixing my attire um, and being gender bendy in, in my attire, but not, um, not experiencing any negative consequences from that. So talk to me about where um, self-expression can come in, um, in this journey, kind of before you get to this place where it's pretty solid. Thanks for listening. We'll be right back. Have a question about mental health? Have any questions about CWC? Ask it. Ask it is a new way for students to ask mental health questions and get answers from a CWC associate. Ask it provides responses to a range of inquiries such as when to ask for help, how to manage day-to-day stress, how to support a fellow Gator, existing resources for addressing mental health concerns, and more. Once you submit your question and contact information, a CWC clinician will respond with an answer within five to seven business days. Ask your question today at counseling.ufl.edu forward slash ask it. Self-expression is a huge component of, of resilience and of getting to know oneself, kind of so both for identity and for when we have a kind of a solid sense of our identity of affirmation. Sometimes, depending on the context, especially earlier on transition, it may not feel safe or feel right to fully express oneself in public. And, you know, there's different stages with that. But thinking about different avenues of expressing oneself can be a real source of resilience because, you know, it's one of those things of if I can't get top surgery, you know, I can get a binder, you know, or if I don't have facial hair yet, you know, of trying drawing on facial hair, seeing what it would look like or, you know, of if it isn't comfortable to dress uh, in a gender congruent way in public, maybe trying it in private or in a supportive environment, right? Of when we express ourselves and kind of try on what we, what feels congruent and what feels authentic, that can be a really affirming way of, again, kind of building that future orientation of what you want, you know, kind of of what you're going towards, right? Even if you can't have it right now, or you can't have it fully right now, of getting a sense, right? You know, I saw a, a YouTube video recently of there was someone, you know, I think uh, she had been very early in her transition. And she said kind of the first time I put on a dress and put on a wig and I stepped outside and just set, you know, stepped outside her porch and felt the wind in her hair, Ugh. you know, and just feeling bright, you know? And it's just, it's just a beautiful image because, you know, I think, what she was saying it was a brief video, but I think what she was saying is she wasn't ready to, to you go know, beyond the porch. Exactly. Exactly. Right. But even just that first step of, you know, of trying out that self-expression was just an affirmation of, yeah, this is me. I was thinking about how the internet and has, has maybe expanded opportunities to try out self-expression um, in my earlier days of working with um, some students, like there was a lot of fear about going to out shopping mm-hmm. and, and shopping for clothes and going into the dressing room and, and people making um, comments or ex- expressions um, that seem judgmental and just how much having, having the ability to order things to home now might um, really 
open up possibilities so that we don't, we don't, you know, you don't open yourself to that kind of scrutiny before you, before you're ready. The internet has been a, a very good friend to the trans community, and especially in that sense of, of, you know, of ordering things to your house, or if there's concerns about like family members opening things up, ordering it to a friend's house, or yeah, being able to try something on in your own space, being able to to have that, you know, I don't like to use the term experimentation, but more just that affirmation, exploration is the term I would use of seeing kind of what fits, what feels right, and what, you know, getting a chance to see, to be in be embodied as yourself in an environment that's safe, right, without some of those risks you had mentioned yeah. um, could be huge. And I think also, you know, beyond just expression of the body, but also expression of you know, of personality of, you know, self like online, you know, I think a lot of times one thing is, you know, we have video game characters, we have like avatars, right? Of practicing expressing yourself through through online mediums, you know, the sky's the limit, you know, depending on the game or the the app of, of trying trying on different things. Like I know for, for me, again, this will absolutely date me again. Um, I know growing up, I loved always for like Mario Kart or like Crash Team Racing, which are like, you know, racing video games, um, always playing as like the most masculine character, you know, always playing like the biggest, baddest, most masculine character. And and for me, you know, at the time, you know, when I was a kid, I didn't have language for trans and stuff, but that's like, that felt me, that felt like me, you know, that felt like affirming of like, yeah, you know, of, of you know, I'm the, I'm the big you know, masculine character, right? When I was, you know, uh, you know, I was actually like a five-year-old or a six-year-old, but um, even little things like that. And I know that that's a silly example, but just finding ways of kind of affirming yourself or expressing yourself through mediums can be really being redundant here, but affirming, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm remembering, I think you shared this on our, on our first episode too, but the time you made a drawing of your, Mm -hmm. just a little sketch of how you want to how you imagined yourself when you were done with your gender transition or something mm-hmm. like that. And it was just, it, you showed it to me and it was so, it was like, wow, that's Taylor. I'm yeah. looking at Taylor. Yeah. No, I think it was while we were planning. I think it was while okay. planning the first podcast. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so basically I, I, when I was a senior in high school, I was in an art class. We had to do sketches. And so one of the things that I was, that was like really in the midst of me coming out, I did a sketch of like, what would I like to look like through my transition? And it was pretty eerily similar to how I look right now, you know, down to the beard and the therapist sweater. Of course, I wasn't planning on being a therapist at that point, but the aesthetic was basically just about dead on. Yeah. And just one of those things that for me, again, looking back, if you had seen me at 18 years old, I did not look like how I look now, you know, it was really, it was, an, uh, I don't want to quite say aspiration because I was being myself, you know, it's like, this is, this is how I want to be. This is, if I could be myself, this is how I would look. But yeah, at the time it was something affirming kind of a way of thinking about what I wanted for myself. And it was really cool to see kind of when we were looking at that of uh, pretty dead on. So whether it's art, whether it's writing, whether it's in video games, whether it's kind of just in your own room or with friends, you know, just finding ways of expressing yourself and giving yourself that sense of, even if it's not fully there right now, there is in the future. And not that everything will be perfect, but that there are ways to express ourselves. And I don't know that life is, I mean, I don't, I've given up on hoping my life will be perfect because any Mm. moments of perfection are very short-lived um but everything else is probably more manageable to negotiate when you feel like you're doing it as yourself yeah everything gets a lot easier you know i think 
you know, it just, it's not that the problems go away. In fact, that's something I often tell my clients of, you know, if you have challenges that are not gender related, they will stick right with you. Um, you know, that they you know your transition is not going to change that, but it may, you know, you, if you're feeling authentic and in yourself and embodied as yourself, that approaching those challenges may become easier, right? Or if there's an intersectionality, you know, I think, for example, with social anxiety, right, of if there's social anxiety, you know, broad general social anxiety and anxiety of, oh, I'm not being perceived at myself as myself, they're seeing me as this gender that is not me, you know, if somebody, if that person were to go through transition, they may still have social anxiety, but gender is not part of it, right? That they're able to maybe more directly address the other parts of that social anxiety because the gendered component is no longer there. Yeah, well said, Taylor. So any other topics or big ideas around this idea of thriving and fostering trans resilience that you want to hit on today, Taylor? Sure thing. Yeah, the, the other main one I was thinking of was kind of a pithy way of describing it would be leveraging resources. And of course, what does that mean? What I mean by that is sometimes there are explicit resources, like we mentioned earlier, of universities often having either student groups, uh, student life sponsored groups, or the counseling center having groups or programming. But uh, sometimes there are resources that may not initially seem like they're there, but they may be able to help you. And so I'm going to use myself as an example again, but when I first came to college, they did not have any gender neutral housing. And so basically by the book, you know, basically I just would have been put in a woman's dorm, end of story, right? There's nothing they could do. Uh, the only other option would have been to live off campus, but because of like uh, the financial aid and stuff, basically it made a lot more sense for me to live on campus. And so I was like, well, great, what do I do? So I looked up things, there were no real resources, but I decided to reach out to the director of student life. And basically I laid out my situation of I'm a trans man, I want to uh, live in a men's dorm. Uh, my, you know, my records don't, you know, my records are all female, like, what do I do? And she kind of looked at my situation. She was like, there's nothing on the book that we can do, but let me get back to you. And uh, a few days later, I think she got back to me and she said, well, we have these medical units that like are equipped with their own bathroom and stuff. So basically you wouldn't have to use the dorm bathroom and there, you know, we have a spare one. Um, and normally they're for students with like some sort of condition, right. That, that they would need um, to, to, to have a bathroom in room essentially. And she basically said, you know, we have one It would have been just randomly assigned because it wasn't assigned to a student who, who needed it. Um, we can assign it to you. And, you know, you can say kind of whatever you want about it. You can say it's because you're trans. You can say, you know, just this was the only medical unit left and you're a guy who got stuck in a woman's medical unit. Um, you know, kind of whatever you want to do with it, you can do that and we can give you that space. Um, wow. And so, yeah, it was, I mean, I cannot thank that woman enough that she made something that was really stressful, right? Of me potentially having to be in a woman's dorm uh women's bath like communal bathrooms like something really stressful for a trans person and presumably stressful for the women on the floor too right they didn't ask for you know especially i think gender neutral housing wasn't normalized as much at that point but you know this director of, of student housing really made a difference of something of on the books we didn't have an option but off the books you know this is an option that can you know can give you a lot more room can really accommodate you 
And it made such a huge difference for my comfort and my safety, honestly, of people that if they had questions, I could just say, you know, I'm just, I'm in a medical unit, right? And I use that example to say kind of, so back to the big point of there may be times where if you just look on the website or, you know, you, you know, you just, you don't find initially that there's a resource, you can always ask, you know, you can ask of, I know that this is XYZ situation. Is there something we can do to work with it? Is there some other option? Is there something uh, off the website? Like, is there, is there some other way to, to work with this? And oftentimes, not always, right? Sometimes there are people that'll be like, no, we can't help you. You know, they shut the door. But a lot of times people, you know, especially in student life in universities, they want to try, right? When there's a situation, you know, like example, in my case, you know, the director of student life or whatever her position was, you know, she was very sympathetic to my situation and understood the issue. And I think generally university officers or uh, staff are similarly, if there's a situation where, hey, there's a real need here and we don't have the policies for it, they may try to work with you and you may be able to, you know, that's why I mean by leverage the resources, leverage the resources that are there to, to try to see if you can, you know, if, if basically if they can help you. Yeah. And hearing that the woman who helped you was willing to get creative. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was a very creative solution, right? Like, um, I didn't go in asking for that, you know. Um, and you which, had no idea that that was even an option. So that, yeah, I love that story. And yeah. it sounds like it it made such a significant difference on your experience in college. Absolutely, for my safety, for and it gave it bought me time essentially because by the next year, you know, I, I won't go into it, but basically some policies and stuff had shifted that I was able to be in a dorm with some male roommates. Basically, I had made friends with some guys and we were able to room together. But for that first year of not knowing anybody on campus and being like, ah, I'm going to potentially be in a woman's dorm. Yeah, it really bought me the time to be able to 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 make those adjustments for my next year. Well, anything else that you want to add before we close up today? I'm trying to think, but I think we covered most of the main bases. There's always this is an ongoing conversation, right, of trans resilience is you know, such an important topic, but I think that those are the general basis of like, if there was, you know, somebody right in front of me and they wanted kind of the quick sense of things, you know, I think the domains we kind of talked about, about building community, you know, finding those sources of internal peace that may not be gender related, right? Kind of that, those foundational, that rock, um, self-expression, um, having forward orientation and then kind of leveraging resources, uh, both the ones that are explicitly for trans folks and those that may not be, right? But that's about it. Yeah, I would just really just encourage folks of really, if you're out there or you're a family member of a trans person or, you know, just to, to uplift and support them because, you know, you absolutely can be trans and happy. Um, you know, you can have a great life, you can thrive, but it definitely just because of the because of society, it definitely does take a certain resilience. And, you know, we're here to support you through that. Yeah. Thank you so much, Taylor. I really, really value the time that you have spent investing in creating episodes that speak to the resources and speak to your own experience. I know it can be, you know, as counselors, we try not to say a lot about ourselves sometimes because we want to make sure people know that their experience is really what matters. And, and yet I I just think there's so much value in you sharing about your story. And it's also a reminder to me that 
we all have such a potentially powerful role to play in one another's journeys, even if we're not on the same journey. The opportunity to make an impact, um, to um, affirm someone, to try to um, cr create a resource or pull a string or whatever to um, to help one another is is really meaningful. And and the folks that have done that for you have stayed with you over the years. Yeah, I'm I'm sure that you know the example of like Department of Housing person probably probably barely even remembers me or doesn't even remember me right ten years ago, but like one creative idea of hers changed my college experience so much, and I think that that does speak to that larger theme of we the little things we do to try to help and support others can make such a big difference. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. You can find CWC Talks on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are found. Please leave us a rating and review us. Email us at cwc-talks at ufl.edu with your feedback and suggestions for future episodes. Show notes, resources, and more can be found at counseling.ufl.edu slash cwctalks.